Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those who redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom. Prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Others went out to the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people. And praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste. Because of the wickedness of those who lived there, he turned the desert into pools of water, and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, 
and they were humbled by oppression, calamity and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste, but he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. Amen. We're wise people, aren't we? We consider the great love of the Lord. Thanks, Carl. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. Uh, Lord, we thank you that your word speaks to us in our difficulties. And uh, Father, we pray that uh, as we think about Psalm 107, that you would help us to reflect on your goodness uh, and also help us to express the dark times that we face. Uh, so Father, speak to us, we pray, empower us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, for we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, well, it seems to me that, uh, that the many, many people live lives which are sunk in darkness. And that manifests itself in all kinds of ways. Uh, so it manifests itself uh, in things like melancholy or sadness, grief, disappointment, uh, fatigue, depression, anxiety, suicide. Uh, and that darkness of the soul exists not just outside the church, but in the church as well. Uh, and it doesn't just affect supposedly weak Christians, it actually affects everyone. Uh, a couple of the books uh, that are listed on the back there uh, mention or, or speak about the lives of influential Christians. One of those books, as I said, is about Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, and Spurgeon suffered with depression, uh, quite severe depression, for almost his entire ministry. Uh, he had to take time off because he uh, couldn't cope uh, with what was going on. Uh, the other person, uh, one of the other people that's mentioned in the book by John Piper is William Cowper, who wrote some of the most uh, amazing hymns that we have. And he tried to commit suicide uh, over and over again in his life. Uh, I think if there was a prize, I sometimes think to myself, if there was a prize for emotional and mental fragility, uh, I might not win the prize, but I reckon I'd be in the final heat. Um, and maybe some of you would be there with me as well. Uh, but I have experienced dark and difficult times in my own life as well, uh, and I think many of us have, and many of us know people who have, uh, and many people know people who are experiencing dark and difficult times uh, as we speak. Uh, in one way, that's part of living in a fallen world. The Bible never promises that this side of eternity, things will be uh, rosy. What the Bible does is to help us get a proper perspective on the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of, of our world. Uh, and it helps us to see things from God's perspective. We, we see things, obviously, from our own perspective. And what we often need is 
someone to open our, our eyes. God, we need God to speak into our lives and to help us see what we can't see. We get stuck, as I often say, in the echo chambers of our own minds and we just hear ourselves speaking to us again and again and what we actually need is God to speak to us and God to say, no, actually, that's wrong and here's the truth. Well, hopefully over the next uh, seven weeks, we'll hear God speaking to us. Uh, we're going to be looking at psalms, a number of psalms that deal with dark nights of the soul, things like guilt, melancholy, despair, disillusionment, fear. Uh, and although the Bible doesn't talk specifically about uh, kind of medical conditions uh, that we might think of like depression and anxiety, it does speak helpfully still into those kinds of situations. It still has things to say. It has things to say about every area of our lives and it has things to say about those too. Uh, and as I said, though many of us might not be in those situations ourselves, almost all of us probably know someone who's going through it or has gone through it in the past. Uh, and so these psalms hopefully will help us to help them uh, and to know what we can do. Uh, let me just say too at the outset that I'm not trying to say that if you're sad, that uh, one of the things that we're going to look at over the next seven weeks is the cause of your sadness. And I'm not trying to say that all of the things that we're going to look at uh, are the cause of your sadness. In many ways, it's like medicine, right? Doctors have no idea what's going on. Um, yes, no. <laughs> it's like medicine. Everyone always goes, and it has flu-like symptoms. And you go... How is that helping me? Everything has flu-like symptoms. You know? Flu has flu-like symptoms, but so does, so does every other known disease. And in a way, I think sadness in our lives is like that. There's lots of things that cause sadness. And the trick for us is to know what the real diagnosis, what the cause of that sadness is. We need to understand that so that we can diagnose the right medicine, uh, the right medicine from God's Word. So please, when I talk about some of the things that people struggle with, please don't think that I'm saying to you in your sadness, this is what's causing your problem. It might be. Please ask the question and pray about it. But don't think that that must be what's going on. Well, the particular case of sadness that we're looking at this morning is, the, uh, the, uh, is caused by being far from God. The psalm that we're looking at is Psalm 107. Uh, and although Psalm 107 calls people to praise God for his goodness to them, it frames that by reflecting back on times when life was not so good, uh, when life was in fact not good at all. Psalm 107 sketches for us images of some very, very dark times. Uh, and as is often the case in life, the chief cause of the dark nights in this psalm is that people find themselves far away from God, from the God who made them and who loves them. Uh, it follows on from the last psalm, from Psalm 106, which is reflecting on Israel's history, where they rejected God and disobeyed God, and it's reflecting on the turmoil that arose from that rejection of God and that rebellion against God. Uh, and then in Psalm 107, following on from that, we get these four sketches of redemption, uh, but also Preceding that redemption, there's these four sketches of darkness that overcomes people who are trying to make their way in, a, in the world without God. So there's four, four groups, uh, and the first group is described in verses 4 to 9. 
It says uh, in verse 4, Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. It's a description reminiscent of Israel wandering in the wilderness after the Exodus. You might remember that period in in, uh, Israel's history. They'd gone their own way. They'd rejected God's provision of life. They kept grumbling and complaining. Uh, And they found themselves, as a result, wandering around in this wasteland, aimlessly uh, struggling to survive. God had promised them a home, but their sin had led them into this wilderness and later on in their history into exile as well. So there's this picture here of these people who are hungry, they're thirsty, they're looking for a place to live, but they can't find one. But that language in both the Old and New Testament of hunger and thirst is is also language which is used metaphorically to describe a spiritual condition. So Psalm 63 says this, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So is is the description here a, a, a spiritual ailment or a physical ailment? What's being described? Uh, In truth, I don't think we have to choose between one or the other. The the truth is that life without God is both physically hopeless and spiritually hopeless. You can't survive without God in either sense. To be in the world without God is hopeless. Uh, and And this psalm says that without God, we are wandering around in the desert aimlessly, coming to an end of ourselves. That's the end result. And maybe that describes uh, your own experience. Maybe you've tried to build a life without God. Uh, And all of a sudden, your life is falling to pieces. You've built a home, but the bank's taken it back. Uh, You were building a career, but it's crumbled. The industry that you were hoping to, to, to work in for the rest of your life has disappeared. Uh, You were building a family, but it's broken apart. Uh, And maybe things are so bad for you that you can barely find the money to eat. You You can't put bread on the table. Or perhaps your difficulties are more abstract, but but no less real. Uh, Maybe you're longing for a spiritual home, but you can't find one. And so you've tried different kinds of things. You've tried uh, Buddhism or or Hinduism. You've tried the eat, pray, love thing, uh, but that's not working for you. You just feel empty. You've tried putting your hope in science and and living as though that was kind of the main uh, source of wisdom for life. But actually, at the end of that, you just feel empty and loveless and cold. You might have uh, left God behind and thrown all your effort into uh, and hope into your partner. And yet, rather than being satisfied, you actually find yourself more dissatisfied than ever. You're starving, but not for food. 
No, you're starving for meaning, uh, or for significance, for love, and no matter what you do, you can't find satisfaction. Life in a broken world, life without God, is a hungry and thirsty life. That's what it's like. But Psalm 107 says that there's a remedy, a remedy of that darkness, and it comes in verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. They couldn't find a home, but then they cried out to God, and he gave them one. He brought them to a place where they could settle. They couldn't find food to eat or water to drink, but God satisfied them. He satisfied the deepest longings of their soul. He satisfied the deepest longings of their physical being. Jesus promises, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And he says to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks this water, this water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You could be in a wasteland. You could be in a desert. And it wouldn't matter. Because the satisfaction which comes through knowing God, the Spirit of Christ, welling in up within us into eternal life, gives us the satisfaction that we so deeply desire and need. If you're empty and lost, please run to Jesus and be satisfied. Don't keep walking around in the wilderness, but meet Jesus. Some tried to live without God, but they ended up wandering in the desert, hungry and thirsty, but they cried out to God uh, and he delivered them. The second group are in verses 10 to 16. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled and there was no one to help. These people were in utter darkness, bound up like prisoners. Why were they bound up? Because they'd rebelled against God. They despised God's wisdom. They despised God's commands. Uh, And so in response, God had subjected them to bitter labor. He gave them a taste of what it was like to live without him and to live under his wrath. Again, whether they were really in prison uh, or whether this describes a spiritual affliction is irrelevant. Uh, even if it's just a physical condition, it's clear that that led to a, a spiritual one and, and an emotional one. Their hearts, God bowed down their hearts. It had emotional and spiritual consequences. Perhaps, though, you've really experienced something like this. Perhaps you've, sat, you've actually really sat in prison or sat in court. Perhaps... Through that experience, you've come to know and God has put before you the reality of your rebellion against him. The truth of just how far you are away from God was driven home by that experience. Most of us 
can avoid conviction by justifying ourselves, but when we sit in court and are found guilty, when we're thrown in prison, no one can argue. It's there for the world to see. Or maybe you've never been put in prison, but you're living now with other consequences of rebellion against God, a broken marriage because of your own hardness of heart. A failed business because of your own indolence or pride. A public scandal because of your own secret sins. Or perhaps God has driven home to you the consequences of your your rebellion against him in other ways. Perhaps God has plunged you into emotional and spiritual despair into emotional and spiritual darkness, and you're terrified. Perhaps he's given, perhaps he's taken away from you every hope. Perhaps he's let you feel in your innermost being the very weight of hell. He's given you a glimpse of eternity under his wrath. Perhaps you're utterly desperate. You can't sleep. You physically tremble. You can barely get up in the morning to face the day because you know the judgment of God and worse than that, you know that God is just. You know that you deserve it and you know that there's no escape that you can find for yourself. You feel as though God has forsaken you and you're utterly terrified. Well, in that darkness, this psalm says there is hope. Look what happened to the people when they cried out to God. Verse 13, they were in darkness, they were in prison, they knew their guilt, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. No matter where you are, no matter what darkness you're in, no matter what trouble you've got tangled up in, God can rescue you. God can shine a light into the deepest, darkest dungeon of our soul. He can cut through the strongest bars of the guilt which imprisons us. And he can loose the chains which, chains which bind us to hell. Listen to these words which begin Jesus' ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. On the cross, Jesus paid our debt to God. He took on himself uh, our conviction, our sentence. He blotted out our names from God's book of judgment. And he plundered the prisons of hell and brought us to our loving Heavenly Father. Charles Wesley put it like this. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. 
All we need to do is to cry out to God and to receive his gift in Jesus. Some sat in darkness, in the deepest gloom, but they cried out to God uh, and he delivered them. The third group are described in verses 17 to 22. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. The last group of people were imprisoned in darkness. They were imprisoned, I should say, because of their rejection of God. These people are brought to the edge of death. Nothing is more powerful than an encounter, a powerful encounter with our mortality. Unless Jesus returns first, all of us will stand at some point on the edge of death. One day we'll breathe our last. We might lie in our bed waiting to expire. Every breath becoming more and more difficult. We might accidentally run a red light in a rush to get to our next appointment and end up lying, dying on the side of the road. A tiny blood vessel in our brain might suddenly bleed out and our lives are snuffed out in a moment. I always remember the story uh, a friend of mine told uh, of a niece, I think it was. She was a general practitioner. And one night she came home from work and she said, I don't feel so well, I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight. And when her children woke up in the morning, they found her lying dead on the couch. She'd had a massive heart attack. And I think to myself, surely, surely if anybody would know what were the signs of a heart attack, surely if anyone could get themselves to the hospital. I can't think of anything worse than to slip away into the darkness of death without God. But not because death is scary, but because what's on the other side of death is scary. Because meeting, with God, meeting God without Christ is scarier than dying. Death is just a sign, it's just a, it's just a picture, it's just a portent, it's just a shadow of what's to come. It's just a small taste of eternal death. Imagine the pain and the agony and the suffering and the misery of death stretched out forever. People argue that we shouldn't make those who are dying suffer, but instead we should escape, let them escape the pain by ending their lives. But unless they know Christ, all we're doing them is ushering them much more quickly into an unthinkable eternity. Perhaps right now uh, in your life, God is pressing on you the reality of death and hell. Uh, maybe you've been diagnosed with a terminal illness or maybe you've been diagnosed just with a chronic illness. But every day, sickness and decay is pressed on your consciousness. Maybe there's a spot on your arm and it looks like cancer and you're waiting for the results. Maybe it's not you who's dying. Maybe it's your friend uh, or a family member, your mum or dad, sister or brother. God has put before your eyes death and decay and eternity and hell. 
Uh, and the fear of death is so real to you some days that like the people in this psalm, you can't even eat. You wake up in the morning and you sit at the breakfast table and for all your desire to eat, you can't do it. And yet look at what happens to these people when they cry out to God. Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. (laughs) He saved them. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. They are in the deepest darkness and God rescued them. They cried out to God. He rescued them from the grave. He just sends a word. He sends his word out and they're healed like that. Listen to these words from Jesus. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. God sends out his word. There's the words of God that he sends out to heal people. Whoever believes in me will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Or these words of God sent out to heal us. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. On the cross, Jesus conquered death, our death. And on the third day, he demonstrated that so comprehensively by rising from the dead. And everyone who trusts in him will rise with him as well. As you and I lie dying, whenever that might be, today or tomorrow or in 10 years or 30 years or 40 years' time, our only hope is to know Jesus Christ. And it's not a faint hope. I wonder if this will work. It's a sure and certain hope, which we have anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself from the dead. If God has pressed home on you your mortality, then please cry out to God that he would rescue you through Jesus Christ. Some drew near the gates of death, the psalm tells us, but they cried out to God and he delivered them. The final group of people are described in verses 23 to 32, where it says, Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. These are people who were overwhelmed with the power of God. They were were afraid of the power of God. They saw in the creation God's incredible might and they saw their own weakness. These people were seasoned sailors and yet... As they face uh, these furious waters, they're absolutely terrified. We caught a glimpse of that uh, a few weeks ago. In in just a couple of days, there was enough water that fell uh, in the north of Tasmania to cause the the floods that we had. Extensive flooding. Uh, The rate of the water, uh, I read over the gorge at one stage was two and a half thousand 
cubic meters per second, which is an Olympic swimming pool of water hurtling over the dam every second. That's two and a half thousand tons of water every second. I'm starting to get my head around that. As I, all the comparison I could think of, that's 50, 50 ton excavators. And they're big excavators, right? That's massive. That's incredible power. And, and, in, and it was a once in a 50 year flood. What would it be like if it was worse than that? It was so powerful, the water, uh, that it carried huge boulders down the river and deposited them uh, in the basin. I, I don't even know how you... How does that, how does that work? Don't they sink? <laughs> but that's the force of the water, right? Imagine seeing that coming on. In Collaroy, um, in Sydney, eight-metre waves tore away about 15 metres of land in a night. Of course, most of us watch those things from our uh, living rooms and watch them from the safety of our own houses. But to stand there in those situations, to be confronted by the power of God's creation is utterly terrifying. Uh, and maybe there have been times in your life where you've been overwhelmed by that. You've felt that. You've, you've had a sense of that. It might have been a violent storm. You're out in the middle of nowhere, and this storm comes, comes through, and, it, and, and it's horrifying. The wind battering the house, maybe. The, the rain and the hail pummeling down. God gave you a glimpse of his awesome power. Perhaps it was a, a thunderstorm, uh, and every lightning strike, the sound of that terrified you. Maybe it was uh, the uncontrollable uh, movements of the spirit of Tasmania as you crossed the Bass Strait. Those moments when you see the power of God in creation and when you're afraid are not moments of insanity. They're not moments of irrational fear. Actually, they're moments of great perspicuity. They're moments of great clarity. When actually we see the world as it really is. God is powerful and we're weak. And to be on the other side of a powerful God, to be on the wrong side of a powerful God, is to be in a bad place. And that's what these people discovered in Psalm 107. They were were sailors, they knew the waves, but they saw the power of God and, and they were devastated. But again, they cry out to God, and it says in verse 28, they cried out to God, uh, to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. It's reminiscent, isn't it, of what Jesus did himself in the boat with his 12 disciples. He, in the middle of a storm, he got up, he spoke a word, and it was like a mill pond. If you're terrified of God, please don't hide from God. Please cry out to God and run to God. There's no prerequisite 
for God's compassion uh, or God's deliverance except calling on him. These people had no opportunity to patch up their lives and get themselves together before God heard them. They were destitute. They were hopeless. They were in the middle of, uh, of dire straits. And they called out to God and he heard them. Uh, even though you might be far away from God, God is never too far away to hear your cry for mercy. Some saw the power of God in creation and were terrified but they cried out to God and he delivered them. Well, last of all, in the last part of this psalm, verse 33 to the end, God lets us in on a little secret. Uh, It turns out that God stands behind not only the rescues, but the dark nights here as well. Verse 33, he turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into a thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live and they founded a city where they could settle. It was not only God who turned uh, the desert into pools of water, but it was God who turned the deserts, uh, uh, sorry, the springs into deserts in the first place. It was God who made things difficult. It was God who brought people to their wit's end. Why would God do that? He did it so that people would cry out to him and be delivered. The great lesson of uh, this psalm is in verse 42, those last few verses, where it says, The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. God often uses dark nights to draw people to him. Uh, And the invitation of this psalm is for us to consider that. To consider that maybe the present dark night in our lives is God calling us back to him. To consider that God might be waking us up out of our slumber and our self-assurance so that we might run to him, so we might flee to him. God might be doing this so that we consider whether he might be calling us from our love of sin to a love for Christ. Perhaps you've never been a Christian and God is waking you up. That may not be the cause of your dark night, but it's worth asking the question, isn't it? Because if you don't know God, it's definitely part of the cause of your dark night. A world, a life without God is destined to be a dark life. Because we were made to know God. And the desire to know God is is deeply woven into us. Without God, we can't survive. Because God is the source of every good thing. You might be in such a dark night at the moment that you don't even know anymore where you stand with God. You might say to yourself, well, I think I'm a Christian, but I don't actually know. But actually, there's nothing to fear from being very honest with God and saying, God, I actually don't know where I'm at. I thought I knew, but I don't know at the moment. My life has fallen apart so much, I I don't even know where I stand. But whatever I've been to until now, whether I've been a Christian or not, wherever I've been, please save me today. Please, Please save me through Jesus now. What does yesterday matter?
Uh, And even if you are a Christian and you do trust Christ, God still might be calling you to turn to him. He might be calling you to turn from a sin uh, that's taken hold of your life. Or he might be calling you to trust you, uh, calling you to trust him in a deeper way, in a new way. Not all suffering is the result of our sin, but all suffering should drive us to Christ. At least we can say that. All suffering should drive us to Christ. And so you might truly belong to Christ, uh, and yet you may be suffering the same kinds of things that the people in this psalm have experienced. Uh, But the remedy is still the same, to cry out to God and to trust him. This psalm guarantees us that no matter what our history has been until today, all that matters for the future is whether we've come to be people who call out to God and rely on him. This psalm tells us that being far away from God doesn't have to end in despair because you can turn to God and he will bring you back. Let me pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, you are an awesome and powerful God and we are weak and broken people. Uh, And Lord, not just broken by sadness, but broken by sin, broken by rebellion against you. Uh, And all of us need your grace, Lord, in one form or another. Uh, And Lord, perhaps there are some at the moment in whose lives you are are working particularly powerfully. You've crushed them uh, and brought them low that they might turn to you and receive your grace. Lord, if there are any here among us In that situation, Lord, we ask that the hope of this psalm would call them to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, grant them that. Lord, there are others of us too who are suffering in other ways, whose lives are difficult. And yet, Lord, even there, the remedy for us is always the same, to turn to you, to cry out to you, to trust in Christ to trust him more and more deeply every day. Lord, give us that grace, we ask it. Not not merely so that we can be healed, though we ask so desperately, so keenly for that. But we ask it too, Lord, so that you might be glorified, so that people might see, so that we might together be able to consider the great love of the Lord how you've brought people from the east and the west and the north and the south, how you've gathered people from far off and brought them near. Father, help us to know these truths deeply in our hearts and to trust them more and more every day. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.